Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. All right, today we have a very special podcast for you. This is actually a recorded version of the industry panel from the Greenlight Guru True Quality Roadshow presented by the Global Center for Medical Device Innovation and Root Quality Systems in Atlanta. If you haven't heard, Greenlight Guru is traveling around the country to keep medical device professionals like you up to date on the ever-changing industry and prepared for the latest quality and regulatory trends. We'd love for you to join us. Our next six cities are set, which are Boston, Minneapolis, San Francisco, Houston, San Diego, and Orange County. To get your free ticket to any of the shows, visit www.greenlight.guru slash events slash TQR hyphen 2019. Now, it's my pleasure to introduce our panel from the Greenlight Guru True Quality Roadshow in Atlanta, Sarah Cohen, Senior Engineering Project Manager at the Global Center for Medical Innovation, Ronnie Bracken, Principal at Paladin Biomedical Consultants, and Ward Broom, Chief Operating Officer at Intent Solutions. And now, I want to bring up John Spear, who I don't even know how to describe this guy. He's an author, he's a thought leader, he's a, a blogger, he's a podcaster, he's a webinar, he's a VP of quality. What else can I say? Ladies and gentlemen, John Spear. All right, everybody loves quality and regulatory, right? What? That was a, a very loud response for the love that you have for quality and regulatory. Who loves quality and regulatory? That's right. Come on. All right, so uh, I'm real excited to be here tonight. A lot of, of green light love and presence in the wonderful city of Atlanta. We have a lot of customers here. We have a lot of partners here. Just a great presence. I mean, we have this map in our office of everywhere in the world, all these 600 cities and, and 50 countries where green light is. And the, the circle around Atlanta is huge because of how much that's going on here. And that's why you know, we, we piloted this roadshow in Indianapolis, our back, backyard. The next stop, it had to be Atlanta because of our presence. So that's why we're here. Uh, today, we, we've got a couple of exciting things. The first thing I get the honor to do is to moderate a panel of industry experts. All right? So when I, Call your name, come on up. We're going to grill you with quality and regulatory questions. All right, so Sarah Cohen from GCMI, come to the stage. <laughs> Ward Broom with Intent Solutions, come on up. Doesn't matter. And then Ronnie Bragg with Paladin Biomedical Consultants come to the stage. And who, I'm looking at the audience, this is going to be about 50 50. 
I'm going to do this maybe a little Phil Donahue style, so uh, some of you might not know who that is, and that's okay. I don't even know if he's on Google or YouTube, but you can look it up. So I want to, uh, Sarah, start with you. Just give everybody a little bit of a background of who you are, who you're with, what you do, and then we'll just dive into the Q&A. Sound okay? All right, go ahead. Hi, I'm Sarah Goins. I'm with GCMI, our D2 division, which is design and development activities. Uh, I have a background in biomedical and mechanical engineering. I spent um, several year, many years working in Boston, um, one of the med device hubs uh, for in research, and then also many years in cardiovascular devices, both in a startup and a larger company, uh, doing in R&D, really doing um, design and development work uh, from very early early prototypes on to something that gets commercialized. Um, and that's what I do at GCMI also. We help our clients, whoever is coming into us, um, understand the process, work through the process of product development um, from um, very early stage uh, products where you know someone might come in with a thought, an idea, and we try and assess whether that, that's a good product to, to move forward. Um, and then where I take over is once we have a prototype, how do we get that into a product? How do I help you get there? All right, so Sarah gets an extra round of applause, and here's why. Sarah, what time today did you find out that you were gonna be here sitting on stage, not just coming to this event, but on stage? I think maybe 2 p.m. 2 p.m. <laughs> All right, so she's phoned in, so extra round of applause. We'll give Ronnie the hard questions. You'll get the easy ones. Fantastic. Go ahead, Mark. Uh, Warp Room, um, engineering background, Atlanta native. Um, started, or a lot, lot of my career was spent as a um, product development and contract manufacturer with a company here in the Atlanta area. We worked with a lot of startups, uh, a couple of medical device companies. And out of that, uh, we came up with our own product, we founded a company called IPA, which uh, had a product in healthcare. It was not medicalized, but it was great. Um, we still had a quality system around that, and um, that product was in, with healthcare for the automated dispensing and retrieval of scrub suits and linens in hospitals. Um, so it was really a niche market, very odd market, uh, we installed about a thousand hospitals. And from there, um, exited from that company and sort of uh, stayed in the startup world. And more recently, got involved in a company called Intense Solutions, uh, which is has a product uh, basically a handheld automated um, medication dispensing device. So it dispenses the right amount, uh, the right time, and the right patient. So very, uh, very key in areas of um, highly vertical high-value uh, medications where taking those medications at the right time is critical for your uh, for your health. So that's what we do this. All right, thanks again, more for being part of this panel. All right, last but not least, Ronnie, give us a little bit of background about who you are and why you're here. Hi, I'm Ronnie Bracken, and let's see, I've got 30 years in medical device product development. Um, I spent 18 years with CRR and all of those in R&D management roles. Ultimately, was a vice president of R&D for six years and decided, you know, I'm not getting any younger. If I want to go to a startup, I'm going to be getting on with it. So I left. Oh, it's been, I've been gone six years even. So <clears throat> started a consulting business initially and uh, ultimately got involved in not one startup, 
two, and then three. I actually am president, chief operating officer of two different companies, a tissue engineering scaffold company and an animal proto-coded medical device company. Yes, I am crazy. But it's, I wouldn't have any other way. Um, I love every minute of it. And it's exactly what David said. You know, you do this because you want to help patients. You want to change healthcare. And that's really what it's about. And you got to do it the right way. All right. I want to thank all of our guests for, for taking time to, to come up here and share their perspectives on the world. And, you know, who's been paying attention to what's happening in the medical device industry, let's just say, in the past two to three years? There's a lot of changes, right? So I've been in this space for about but over 20 years now, and, and there's some real huge significant changes that have been happening in the past few years that any one of them by themselves is, is, a, is a monster. We're, we're talking 1345-2016, which, you know, I think we're coming up on the anniversary date of that. So within a few days, uh, that that is official. There's no such thing as, as the previous version of 1345. 1345. But that by itself is huge. And then we talk about MDSAP and Health Canada. We talk about EU MDR. We're talking about changes to 14971 that are coming later this year. We're talking about FDA moving from 820 to 1345. Lot of stuff happening in our industry, and it's all happening at the same time. And here we have three folks who deal with different aspects of that. So I want to cover some of that today, and uh, there'll be time for you all to ask a few questions as well. Sound okay? All right. So. Uh, I guess, open question, whoever uh, wants to chime in first, uh, which one of these things has been the most impactful to your business, 1345, 2016, MDSAP, EU, MDR, which one of these has been most impactful and why? Well, the 1345, 2016 was very impactful, but now you layer MDSAP on, it's even more impactful, and then if anyone's not preparing for MDR, you're not going to be selling the product in Europe if you're not working on it now. So I would say all of them are very impactful and they've all kind of jammed in in a very short window, which is very unique in this business. You used to, you'd have four or five years, but everything's happened one right behind the other. MDSAP was really the biggest surprise in that they talked about it a long time, but Eventually they all got together, worked it out, and here you were. Oh, by the way, you got to now satisfy these regulations for the five countries if you're going to sell a product here. All right, anybody else have some thoughts to share about those yeah. topics? Yeah, I would just say 1345 for us is an early stage startup. We've had to focus, you know, keep our focus as narrow as possible. So, you know, getting that integrated into our very early system has been a problem. Sarah? Nothing bad, right? So the the EU MDR is interesting too because you know folks that there's a lot of changes happening in Europe. I mean I, but just by show of hands and if you're uh, you should know or you should learn very quickly when you are, you're at an event where I'm involved in this sort of role, I'm gonna call on you and I'm gonna learn a lot about you. So you might be raising your hand a few times, so just get used to it. It's, it's all good, we're all friends here. But uh, EUMDR, who's been paying attention to what's going on there? And I guess a show of hands. 
right. So, uh, does anybody know how many uh, notified bodies have been through that whole new EU MDR process? Anybody know? Yep, Grace, you win. One. One. Right? Is one notified body going to support the entire medical device industry here? No, of course not. So, but at the same time, what are we to do? You know, we got to prepare for that. So, Ronnie just shared, and he's got a few different uh, experiences depending on which company you're talking to him about. Like you've been through 1345, uh, you've been through some of the MDSAP, unfortunately, yeah, and, and you're starting to prepare for, for EUMDR. You talked about it being an escalation. Um, but are these complementary, or do they build upon one another, or do they like compete with one another? It, when, it, when it was just 1345, you know, it's pretty easy to manage. But what happens is when you layer the empty sap on top of it, uh, the best way that I can explain this is you've got five major countries, they all go on a road and they say, well, if you don't do it my way, I'm not going to agree to empty sap. So what you find with MDSAP, which is very different than 1345, is even though there may be a particular 1345 clause, the interpretation of what a particular country wants or the regulatory agency within that country is very different. So again, I'll just give you an example. Because uh, it's happened to me recently. It's not very pleasant, but it happened. Um, we went through an MDSAP audit, and we are looking at going into Canada. And it used to, you know, in your quality system, you would have a statement that you would do a regulatory assessment, and you would determine whether you needed to, you know, take any regulatory action based on the change you were going to make during your change control process. Well, uh, they, they uh, looked at us, and they said, well, Where's the words Canadian MDR? And I'm like, well, they're not there. Well, they have to be there. And I'm like, what? So then it was, oh, by the way, you need to look at the, and they, they gave us this document, it's the FDA MDSAP companion document. Anybody who wants to put themselves to sleep, just go ahead and read it. But what I will tell you is you can read the same section and you're gonna get three or four different versions from the different countries. So. It is escalated, but there's somewhat of a contradiction to 1345, and that doesn't even get you the MDR yet. So, yeah, and so we're, we're in a time where there's a lot of confusion, right? And even the auditing organizations, they're not in alignment with one another right now. So, this, I don't, I don't know, I guess, open question to the panel. Knowing that there's confusion, knowing that there's uh, various interpretations of how to apply these things, what are we supposed to do? It's a loaded question, I know. Be brave. Sarah, you're the one who wants to say something. I was just going to say, I mean, I think a lot of the companies that come through us are very much more U.S. focused, so we haven't been having to deal with some of these questions, but I think one of the things we do is we have this ecosystem of experts and people around us that we will often turn to, regulatory consultants, et cetera, to try and help us through um, a lot of these questions and actually going to regulatory bodies. All right, so Ward, you talked about your device, 
you and I were chatting a little bit earlier uh, uh, before we uh, called you up on stage. You knew you were coming up here, though, so and in my defense, but uh, no, come on, really. Uh, all right, so but you have a device that that is class one, and and there's there's something to be said about that. Um, you know, some pros and some cons, perhaps. So, you know, what's attractive about that? And you know, I know there's a few folks out in the audience who, you know, they're they're designing and developing their own device and regulatory strategy. Um, we might talk a little bit about that here in a moment, but that's key. But, but what is it about your product that's attractive to you as far as like go to market? Well, you know, I think as a, as a class one, you know, there were particular features and functions we decided not to go to for these essentially a class two area. Um, but we are able to meet uh, the needs of the market as a, you know, as a, uh, as a startup, as a first version of the product going into the market. Um, so it's doing basically what the customer needs. And so by Doing that, it allows us to focus on our quality system at a very basic level. Again, as a startup, we would go completely broke if we focused too much and you know, everything was completely regulatory, uh, regulatory focused. But at the same time, we did not want to ignore the regulatory side. So by going in and putting green light into the base, getting all of our processes in place, it becomes a, how, becomes a part of how we do things day to day and it's not disruption, we're not having to scramble later on because we will be moving to a class two level kind of like that. And have you put any thought into like EUMDR and is that a market that, that's attractive to you or maybe less attractive to you because of changes that are happening? You know, it's attractive. Um, I think it's uh, a few years out, but at the same time, what we're doing is we're basically educating ourselves so that we know that these types of standards that come, that come in, everybody sort of panics at first, but it's, you know, there's going to be a few years' time before it's absolutely required, but as long Basically, what we're doing is we're educating ourselves. Uh, Rook Quality is advising us, uh, just to throw one in there for, uh, for Kyle. But um, you know, just making sure that we know where we need to go and we've got the groundwork laid so that we can easily go to that point. All right. And, and Sarah, so like a lot of the companies that you work with at GCMI, I mean, these are the earliest of early companies. How, how in the world are you advising them? as to how to, to navigate these treacherous waters. You know, what, what is the single biggest piece of advice that, that you would give these startups, especially with respect to all the changes that are happening from a QAR perspective? Okay. Well, companies that come to us are often so early stage that they don't, they're, they're sort of too early to even understand that there's a difference between current 1345 and future 14, but the 1345. So we do a lot of education on what is a quality system to begin with and why it's important to use the process. So we actually even start there. Uh, we um, do a lot of trying to train them that you really need to set up requirements very early. You need to uh, then make a device based on those requirements. So I think we where we start is much with a much more basic um, education of our clients. Okay, that's helpful. And so, Ronnie, we've, we've had the pleasure, Greenlight, to work with you and companies that you're involved with. I think, what are we on? Three or four? Three? Three, four. Four. Four different companies uh, that Ronnie's been involved with that, that are customers of ours. And each one of them is a little bit different in their complexion, but 
But I remember the first conversation that I had with you. We were talking about it, about it earlier, and I think we were trying to give you the sales pitch, and I, and I think you told us to shut up. Why did you tell us to shut up? <laughs> but he's exaggerating. I just told him he didn't even give me the sales pitch. I'm kind of impatient guy, by the way. No, what it amounted to was this, that if you're going to run a medical device business, there's only one way to run it, and it's the right way. There is no other way, because you will not have a company. And one of the things that you have to do when you get into this business, and particularly building a startup, is you have to start from the very bottom and say, these are the things that we have to do that are non-negotiable. Well, I'd already studied green light, and it gave me all the non-negotiables, and the way I used to describe it was, for a bunch of, I hate to say this, maybe I'm getting old, but a bunch of young kids that you can hire them, and they come to work in the company, you know, the best way to make them follow something is give them a piece of software. They can't really color outside the lines. And that's really what we use Greenlight for. It actually built a culture in the company. It actually trained them. And it took away from me having to train them and getting trained somewhat on their own. So, you know, that's why I really didn't tell them to, to be quiet or be quiet. I just said, okay, I, I get it. I know what the software does. And, and it, it does exactly what it needs to do. And that's very clear cut pathway that you must follow. I'm glad you used the word culture because we, we talk a lot about that in green light, the importance of culture. Our internal culture is like the number one value of our business. As we look at and evaluate adding people to our team, which uh, I'm gonna put a plug in for Greenlight on this, by the way. I'm looking for QARA professionals. I'm looking for biomedical professionals to come join our customer success team. You may know some people. So if you do, uh, be sure you find me tonight or send me a note because we'd love to, to consider those people coming and joining our team, right? Because that, that's important. This culture of quality, we talk about it at Greenlight as true quality, uh, is so important. I mean, I shared with you earlier how many changes are happening in the medical device industry today. David shared with you a few minutes ago that you know, the, the quality professional, he didn't say it like this, this is what I heard, it's kind of been disenfranchised for a long time in the medical device industry, unfortunately. Ah, you got Word, you got Excel, we, 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 got, we got all those forms figured out, you know, just leave me alone. They, they haven't had any influence or power. And you know, it's goddamn time that things like uh, FDA case for quality are starting to get some emphasis. Because for far too long, we as quality professionals, we've been relegated to checking boxes on forms to try to satisfy ratings, right? That doesn't feel good. And so, like I said, quality is important, and our culture is important. And, and what I mean that I think you all should take home from this is true quality, making that part of your culture is important. So, I guess, again, an open question for the panel. What is the single biggest thing that, that you think is important from a true quality culture perspective that medical device companies should be focused on? Any thoughts come to mind? So I, I was thinking about that because I did get the questions ahead. <laughs> um, so true quality to me is making sure that you are making 
a product that you're proud of in the end. I mean, it's really about making a, an excellent product. I think a lot of people do see check the boxes that need to happen and think that it's the burden that you have to um, bear in order to make this product. But it, that quality system is set up for a reason and so that you move through it in a, a logical process so that you get to the end and have a product that is going to help patients. And so I think people kind of lose, um, lose track of that when they, they come in and they never done medical device development before and they say, why does the FDA have all these requirements? Why, why do I have to do all these things for them? It's not necessarily for them. It's for making sure that you have a good quality product. Um, and the quality system is really the way that you're, you're communicating to yourself and to regulatory agency what you have done and that you have used this process. Um, so that's what we try and educate our clients with. Yeah, I think that's well said. Warren, what, what do you think about your okay. quality? I think the key thing is it's um, to understand that it's not a barrier. Um, it's, uh, it should be an asset. The quality system should be an asset. Don't look at it as something that's going to keep you from doing something. It's going to be something that helps you do it right. Ryan? I guess the way I look at it is this, that, and I've said this all my career to every engineer I've worked with, if you're developing a device, you get finished, ask yourself if you want to use it you. That's a very hard question. And, and all these things around a quality system, you know what, if, if you are a great product developer, Great product developers mentally do these things. They do it in their sleep. Like, okay, what is, what, what's the unmet need? What does a user want? How do I satisfy those things? Well, all the, all that a lot of this does is force you to write it down. Well, everybody's not a great product developer. They may be an okay product developer, but it forces them to go through the same process because you will turn out much better products and you will actually you know, grow your business because you're actually building something that somebody wants. Not something that you think they want, but something that somebody actually wants if you do it right. All right, so we have a few minutes left in this panel. Does anybody have a question you want to ask? Surely somebody's brave enough to ask a question. All right, I'll make it even easier. I will walk down to, to you. What is the single biggest mistake of company size that you're most familiar with make early in a new product development process? The single biggest mistake is this. How many inventors have you ever met that didn't love their product or their technology? Everyone of them love it. And my point is this. The biggest mistake is they fall in love with their technology and forget to ask themselves, who am I making it for? What do they want? What does it have to do? And then how am I going to get there and deliver? Now, those are some simple questions, but there's a whole host of a million details that go into that. But my point is this, that most of the time they are taking a technology and think they're solving the problem where if you look back, nine times out of 
technology and that technology is morphed into something that's very different than where they originally started or what they originally put, developed the technology for and what they thought they were going to do with it. So it is actually the biggest mistake. They waste more time chasing the dream with the technology than stepping back and saying, what, what problem am I really trying to solve? And does anyone care if I even solve that problem? And then get on with it. And I just want to add something I agree very much with that. Um, but also allowing or having the discipline to define the scope of your product once you've defined what that user need is and not allowing um, the next user to come in who says, oh, but I really like this feature and I'm going to add that on and now we're going to go in a different direction. But allowing yourself some research time to figure out what the real user need is and then defining it and saying we're going to stay in this uh, so we can move forward. All right. Who else has a question? All right. This better be a good one because it's the last question for this panel. No pressure. So I've heard the phrase, uh, what I hope the right way. Uh, could you put some context into, or in your own words, what, what is the right way to either run a medical device company or develop a medical device product? Absolutely. So, the very first thing you have to do is, you know, regardless of, of you know, whatever the technology may be, well, one thing you got to start with is, is this, is this technology going to really address the true unmet needs? If you don't start there, chances are you're going to waste a lot of time you know, chasing something that may not even be real. Okay? I'll give you an example. I was in the consulting business before I actually latched myself on to a few of these startups. And one of the things I always ask is, tell me what the unmet need is that you're trying to address, or tell me what problem you're trying to address. Secondly, tell me how you're different, okay? If you cannot tell me how you have competitive differentiation, you don't really have a business that you can succeed in in the long run, all right? Then what you have to do is start with the, what I call the foundation thereafter. The foundation being that, okay, how are we actually going to develop the product? What's the process we're going to use to develop the product? You know, what's our regulatory strategy? You know, exactly right. You know, scope the thing right. You know, figure out how much money you're going to be able to use to do that. Because most startups actually fail because they're, I'll say it this way, bumping around in the dark. In other words, they burn up all the money before they get to where they need to go. And the real ticket to a startup is you got value inflection points, and you've got to hit those, and it's almost like clockwork in a way. You can't make a lot of mistakes along the way. You can't make regulatory mistakes, you can't make quality mistakes, and you really can't make a whole lot of product development mistakes. And you know, that's why, in my case, I've got 30 years of experience. It's you know, I'm not going to say I don't make mistakes, I'd be lying to you, but, you know, what I've tried to do over the years is learn from the mistakes so that you don't make the same mistake twice. So a lot of this is about, you know, 
a thought process and a process that you go through mentally more than it is what you're doing on the ground every day. And you always got to revert back to that because things do change, but you may have to revert back to it and ask yourself that over and over and over to make sure you're still focused on the right goal. Or what would you add to that? I mean, I, I think you pretty much nailed it, but um, you know, when you think about it, your day-to-day -day activities, so of course, you know, find a problem, making sure that you're developing a product that the customer wants and the customer is going to pay for it over to um, And when it comes to the quality system, I think the, you know, the framework around these standards is based on that concept, is uh, not only digging into you know, what the customer needs are, but also making sure that you go through the development process and minimize the risk what you pointed out earlier about is this a product I would use myself out there. So all that is embedded into these standards, and I think you know the standards themselves and the processes can be kind of anonymous. But you know, if you go ahead and you embed it early, you know, you start slow, uh, you know, long term it will be that you can come out with a better product that the customer wants that say to use. All right, great questions. Gonna have to walk right up here. And I, I, I just came back up there. Come on. <laughs> I got long enough arms. So there's been a trend where uh, funders take on an issue as their cause, either because of a relative or their own medical crisis. And it's interesting how you pointed out the constraints. So there are customers in their need, but you've also got these funders who claim from their business background that they're going to. Uh, do better than this sort of staid, methodical, scientific lab bench. And I'm interested to know what kinds of culture clash, issues, derailments, or successes, and what the patterns are that you've seen in that. This is so true. They're, just because people take it on as a cause, you have to respect everyone's viewpoint. So, I'll give you an example, just happened just recently. You know, we have a group of investors and I was going out to hire a VP of sales. And the very first question they asked me was, well, why can't we hire 20 salespeople at once? And, you know, we believe if we hire them, we'll grow sales faster. And the first thing you could look at and say, are you crazy? Well, that's probably not gonna get you a lot of mileage. But the thing that, you have to do is there's only one way to do this is educate people there's always going to be people looking at the world different but you cannot dig your heels in and say you're freaking stupid you got to look at them and say okay what is their viewpoint why are they saying it you have to educate them so if you get a, uh, an investor that is chasing their cause they don't want to do it their way what you have to do is educate them on, well, if we do it this way, these are the risks, and this is what possibly could happen. We could all end up with a big goose egg. So it's, it's, it's always a struggle. You're always going to have people that think they're smarter than the people that are in the company, think they can do it better. But the only way to do it is, is to work through a process of educating them, listening to them, and trying to come up with some agreements so that people can go through it. 
Because if you don't, it's going to fail anyway. Because everybody's going to be butting heads. But I, I have seen it. And it, what I had to do with the, back to the sales situation, is set them down and say, okay, if we want to go into the hospital, here's the way the sales process works in the hospital. Now, this is how long it takes to get to a value analysis committee. And I said, you do the math, and I won't even do the math for you. You do the math. And you tell me how long it's going to take before we even start seeing the first sale out of 20 sales reps. But you know what? They got to thinking about that real fast. They said, that's probably not a good idea, is it? So a lot of times it's just that perspective. Anything that, all right. One thing I would point out is, you know, it's not just about the fund, you know, picking the investment as a, uh, not your, you're picking the investors as well. So you can be selected. And you want to make sure that whoever you're picking is going to be the right partner. Yeah, that's really wise words. All right, so uh, put your hands together. Help me thank our panel.